Well, we are in Daniel chapter 5. We're, uh, we're moving right along. Now, remember that Daniel is writing from the place of showing the sovereignty of God. He is not writing a narrative of his life in captivity. Because between chapters 4 and 5, 30 years pass. And remember, we pass in, in chapter 4, we saw Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. He is, uh, I believe, given over to demons. And for seven years, he, he crawls on the ground, he eats grass, he, he acts like an animal, and then he comes to his senses he looks up and realizes that the creator God is the one who put him into power, the one who took him out of power, and the one who is going to restore him back to his throne. And all that took place in chapter 4. 30 years have passed. Nebuchadnezzar has died. And uh, in the following six years after his death, there is a power struggle between his sons or some of them that, that get put into place and assassinated. And, and at the end of six years, uh, his son-in-law, Nabonidus, is made king of Babylon. And Nabonidus uh, is, is kind of a, an adventurer. He doesn't like to stay in one place very long. And matter of fact, he spends the majority of his reign up in the area of uh, Arabia. And so because he's not in, in Babylon to rule himself, he places his son, Belshazzar, into power in Babylon to oversee the kingdom. And Belshazzar uh, is the one that we're going to see primarily in chapter 5. He is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar through his mother. And there's a couple things I want to just, as we read this, uh, I want you to be aware of. They use the term father and the term queen uh, in here, but it doesn't necessarily mean his immediate father. Much like the, the children of Israel call Abraham what? Father. Father Abraham. Matter of fact, we have a song. Father Abraham has many sons. Right? Yeah, good camp song. Now you all got it stuck in your head, those who had know that song. <laughs> so anyway, it, so we have this term father, which is used really for Belshazzar's grandfather. And the queen in this case is going to be the queen mother, his mother, not somebody that he's married to. And we'll, we'll look at that when we get to that during the passage. But, but the thing to remember here is that we're looking at Daniel telling the story of the sovereignty of God. That God lifts up and God takes down. And we're going to see a young man, uh, some, uh, some would title it, get taken out at the knees. God's just going to say, you know what? Uh, my dad would say, you're too big for your britches. And God's just going to cut him off. And it's going to be that fast. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 5. And uh, let's begin reading. Remember, we're 30 years 
now, 30 years later in the kingdom, Daniel is writing. He's in his mid-80s as he writes uh, this narrative. Belshazzar, the king, I probably ought to tell you, we're only going to do the first six verses. So, uh, Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for thousands of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And they drank the wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. And then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began to knock together. Before we understand what's happening inside the kingdom, we need to understand what's happening outside the kingdom. Babylon has been now for many years the, the ruler of all the known world. And during that time, there's been some other kingdoms that have began to rise up to the north in what is today modern-day Iran is a place called Persia. Matter of fact, it was called Persia. Some of you are, are, are young enough <laughs> to remember when Iran was actually called Persia. It was it, Persia. It's, it kept that name for many, many years. And above that, in what we call the stands today, Kakistan and Afghanistan and, and all those other, in that area were the Medes, the Median Empire. And those two got together. They said, you know what? Either one of us by ourselves, we can't defeat Babylon. But if we get together, we can go down there. We can, we can beat them. So they come down, the Medes and the Persians come down, and they, they siege Babylon, the city of Babylon. Now, Babylon is ready for this. Uh, the, Nebuchadnezzar had decided that he wasn't going to let anybody take this easily. So he had built, he had fortified the city. The walls were 300 feet tall, and they were 80 feet thick. They would, race, they would race their chariots on top of the wall. So there's no way you're breaking through that. And Nebuchadnezzar, in all his wisdom, said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig a tunnel uh, 
from the Euphrates River and I'm going to run under the wall and I'm going to bring fresh water from the Euphrates River into our city and it, and it ran through the middle of the city so they would have fresh water. He had storehouses filled with food for, for years. He just knew that nobody could get to him. And then they diverted the rest of the Euphrates River around the city so it almost created a moat. So if you're going to get to them, you've got to cross water to get to them. And so on this very night that we're talking about here, we have Belshazzar having a feast. He invites thousands, a thousand people to come. His nobles, he's, he's invited probably the generals of the army. He, all of the, the who's who of Babylon are there. And uh, the armies are outside. Now, as the commander-in-chief, what should he have been doing? We need to be prepared for these people. But in his arrogance, he says, I'm not worried. Matter of fact, I'm so not worried, I'm going to have a party. We're going to throw a big old bash. And so as he does this, Belshazzar shows his arrogance. His arrogance as... The king who's like, there's no way anybody's going to get in. We've got all of our bases covered. We're not worried. We're just going to have a big old drunken party. Well, not only does he show his arrogance towards the Medes and the Persians, his opponents, but he shows his arrogance to the God Most High. Because he sins, he's having this drunken feast, and he sins to the treasury to get specific items. Now, Ezra chapter 1 tells us that when Nebuchadnezzar uh, came in and took the people out of Jerusalem, he took 5,400 items from the temple, goblets, serving plates, such as that. Belshazzar says, go to the treasury and get the, get the items that were for, from Jerusalem, from the temple, so that we can drink out of those. You know what he's doing to God? He's doing this. It's exactly what he's doing. He's thumbing his nose at God, saying, you say God most high, I say I drink from your cup, from your temple. And what, what kind of arrogance is that? Do we do that today? What creator? I, I make the rules for myself. We, we thumb our nose at God and say, I don't believe you're the creator. Well, you, it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what the truth is. But Belshazzar shows his arrogance towards God. And not only does he bring those to drink out of, it says that he praises or he toasts the idols of gold, silver, wood, metal. He, he says he, he praises them or he toasts them. 
the idols of all the gods, remember they're polytheistic. There's over 3,000 names of different gods that they worshipped. And he says, you're, you're, you're not even worthy of these that we worship. I mean, what kind of arrogance does he have? I mean, God tells us in, in Exodus that if anybody but the priests use those items from the temple, God says you're to cut them off. Only the priests are to use those. And here he is, this pagan king, saying, God, we don't care about you. Well, God's not really appreciative of people who are arrogant. Yeah, Have you ever known somebody that's, that's just that arrogant? Right? Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. And I, and, and I think all of those things go together, don't they? Pride, arrogance, the evil way and the perverted mouth. They all go together and God says, what? I hate them. Because they, they, they show no appreciation for who the creator God is and his creation. Can you, can you imagine the arrogance that it takes to look at another human being and say, I'm so much better than you when that person is what? Created in the image of God. But we see it. Proverbs 29.1 says, A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. And, and that is one of, those, one of those verses that I think we need to keep in mind. Because what does it say? Will suddenly be broken. Isn't that what happened with Nebuchadnezzar? We're going to find that out here in just a minute because Daniel's going to talk about that. But, but this suddenness, all of a sudden, you know, you got the picture now, right? Big drunken party. Everybody sloshed. And all of a sudden, on the wall, next to where the king sits, begins this writing. This hand appears. The hand of God, the finger of God appears. Now, first of all, you kind of go, am I seeing right? What am I seeing? Is this a drunken stupor? But then that hand begins to write. Meeny, mean, mean, tikal usperen. He writes on the wall. And this freaks out Belshazzar. Did you notice what it says? Uh, the king's face grew pale. His thoughts alarmed him. His hip joints, joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. You know, so, oh, what's going on? You know, he, he, he's like losing everything. And so what does he do? 
In the next couple verses, it tells us that he calls in those guys, which they have such a great track record. He calls in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to come in and tell him, what's the handwriting on the wall? And, of course, they keep their track record. They go, I don't know. We can't do this. We, we, we have no idea what it says. Well, meanwhile, Queen Mother, who is who? Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. She has watched all through the years Daniel. And Daniel is a man of integrity. Daniel is somebody you can rely on. She watched as, as Daniel uh, told her father what would happen with him. She watched as all of that came true. She watched as her father, Nebuchadnezzar, after, after he's restored, his mind is restored, praises Yahweh, the Most High God. She's watched all of this. And so she goes to her son. Remember, it says that his wives were, were part of this drinking crowd, so we know it wasn't one of those, but the queen mother comes. And in verses 10 and 12, this is what she says. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. And the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. Obviously, she saw what he looked like, right? There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of, of the holy gods and in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, actually your grandfather, your father, the king, appointed him as chief of the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanations of enigmas, solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belshazzar let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. There is a man. Wow. She knew who he was. There is a man in the kingdom. Wouldn't you like to have somebody say that about you? There is a woman in the kingdom. And look what, look what she says about him. He has illumination, insight, wisdom like the wisdom of the God. Down below it says, uh, extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, solving of difficult problems. This is who Daniel is. Wouldn't you like to have somebody say that about you? This is a man or a woman of God. You can go to them and know 
that whatever they give you is going to come from God. It's not going to come from man. Call Daniel. He served your grandfather well. And he will serve you well. And you know, oh, to be a person like that. To be a person like Daniel. People look and says, you know, that first one, what does it say? Mine says illumination, light. You're a person of light. That's what God wants, right? Because we're we're a reflector of the light. They're, they're a reflector of the light of God. And so he's called. And in the next few verses, Nebuchadnezzar or uh, uh, Belshazzar just kind of goes, oh, uh, you're one of the slaves that Nebuchadnezzar brought from Judea. Kind of dismisses him. Well, I've already called all the big shots and they couldn't do it. So if you're able, if you're able to give me the answer, then I'm going to give you all this stuff because I'm a rich guy. I'm going to give you a purple robe and I'm going to, I'm going to give you gold chains. You're going to look like Mr. T, right? Uh, some of you watched A-Team, didn't you? Right? I'm going to give you gold chains and I'm going to make you the third of the kingdom. But he just, he kind of, you're, you're one of the slaves. Daniel is, is in, the, in his mid-80s. He deserves the honor of being an elder. He deserves the honor of being the chief of the wise men. But Belshazzar here, he's kind of like going, hmm. Nah, I'm not impressed. Folks, there, there's something to be said about honoring your elders. And I think Daniel deserved much more than Belshazzar. He, he was, you know, he was a, just a young kid that was, was given Daniel. Uh, and I think that's something we need to remember is that They've earned those white hairs. They've earned the honor of saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. They deserve that honor. And Belshazzar shows none of that. His arrogance blows through with, with what he says. And so we come to verse 18, and Daniel now is ready to give an answer to Belshazzar. But before he gives an answer, Belshazzar's going or Daniel's going to put him in his place. Come to verse 18. O king, the most high God, granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. He doesn't even start with Belshazzar. He says, you need to remember Grandpa, because Grandpa learned a thing or two. And look what he says about, about Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, who did? God bestowed it on Nebuchadnezzar. All the peoples, nations, every 
men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared the life, and whomever he wished, he elevated, and whoever he wished, he humbled. And when his heart was lifted up and his spirit came so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of the beast and the dwelling place was with the wild donkeys and he even he was given grass to eat like the cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of the house of his house before you. And you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or understand. And I love this verse. But the God in whose hands are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. We're going to stop there. I think it's, it's interesting. Daniel, when he comes on the scene, he says, you may not be impressed with me. And that's okay. But you need to be impressed with the God Most High. You need to be impressed of the God Almighty. And, and Belshazzar here is going to be held accountable. And, and here's what he's held accountable. First of all, he's held accountable for the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather. He's... Daniel says, and you knew it. Now, either Belshazzar was a young boy when all that happened, or he heard it through his mother, but most likely Belshazzar would have been a young boy when grandfather for seven years. And maybe his mom would, would say, oh, I've got to go, go check on dad to see how he's doing out eating grass, acting like a jackass. I, sorry, that's colloquialism. He ate with the wild donkeys. Right? Yeah. He, he said, I need to go check. Why don't you go with me as I check on Dad? And then one day, she goes out to check on Dad to see how he's doing, and he's in his right mind. And he is, they, they've given him a bath, they've shaved him, they've trimmed his nails, and he's sitting there, and as grandson and daughter look on, he says, hey, 
I've come to know who the Most High God is. It's Yahweh. He's the creator of the universe. There is no other God but him. I will worship no one else but the Most High God for the rest of my life. Belshazzar had either witnessed it or been shown the testimony by his mother, I believe, because of what Daniel says, that he witnessed this. And yet here is Belshazzar sitting there saying, that was Grandpa. I don't believe in Grandpa's God. You ever heard that? Right? That's okay for you, Grandpa, Grandma. But, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm one of those uh, y- YOLO. Anybody knows what YOLO means? You only live once. I, I really don't believe in your God. Your God's old-fashioned. And he says, Belshazzar, I'm going to hold you accountable to the testimony of your grandfather. Do you realize that God holds us accountable for what he's told us? Romans chapter 1 tells us that everyone's held accountable to the fact of creation. God gave creation, so what? So we could see who God was. And God reveals to us To some of us, he's revealed a lot. To others, he's not revealed as much. But for whatever we've been given, the light that we've been given, we're accountable for. And if you've got a praying grandma, you better get right. Because God listens to them. And God says, you're accountable for their testimony. Because I guarantee you, grandma's going to tell you You need to get right with Jesus. And she's going to tell you how to do it. And when that happens, God says, thank you. You've acknowledged me. Belshazzar wouldn't do that. He also holds them accountable for using the the items from the temple. You see, that was God's law. You can go to Exodus and says, only the priests are to use these. And he says, I don't care whether you read the Torah or not. Somebody had the wisdom to keep those in the treasury for all of those years that they were were cataloged. They knew exactly how many were there. Because when Ezra goes back, when Darius sends Ezra back, they release all of them to, so they knew exactly where they came from. Belshazzar exactly Uh, asked exactly for the ones that came from the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, you drank from those and you toasted the idols? God's going to hold you accountable for, for doing something. And God holds them accountable for worshiping idols. He said, you praised. Uh, Look what he says about the idols. He says, And you praised the gods, in verse 23, of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And what does he say about them? Which do not see or hear or understand. That's who you worship? Really? And then he holds them accountable 
for not acknowledging the Creator. The Creator. But the God in whose hand your life, breath, and all of your ways you have not glorified. You see, every one of us will be held accountable to the Creator. There will come a day where every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I love the fact that he says, he holds his life breath. Don't you love that? The very, we, we sing, there's a couple songs that we sing that talk about the very breath that I breathe comes from God so it should give glory back to God. God literally holds your heartbeat in his hand. And so he's, he's holding him accountable. Before he ever gets to, yeah, I can interpret this for you. But before I do that, I'm going to let you know exactly who God is. And exactly what you've done to, to deserve what you're going to get. Because I think as soon as Daniel walked in and saw the handwriting on the wall that was left there, he's like going, oh, this is not good. Now, now remember when he did that with, with uh, Nebuchadnezzar? And he had had such a compassion for Nebuchadnezzar that he says, I really wish this was on your adversaries or your, your enemies, not you. He doesn't say anything about anything like that to Belshazzar. He kind of says, you know what? You're about to get what you've earned. You have, you have rejected God and you're gonna, God is going to discipline you in, a, in the most harsh way. So let's look at verses 24 to 31 as Daniel gives this interpretation. Then the hand was sent from him and the interpretation was written out. Now this is the inscription that's written out, mean, mean, tikal, ufsaran. This is the interpretation of the message. Mean, God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end. Tikal, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, now just so people understand, Perez is the singular of Upsaran, the word that was used ahead, that's, that's the plural of Perez. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave orders and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he was now had authority over the third ruler of the kingdom. And that same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. Daniel's going to give the interpretation. Mean, numbered. Your days are numbered. You ever heard that? 
expression. This is where we get that. Your days are numbered. That usually is not a good thing, is it? You see, we, God, God looks down and he says, you know what, I'm going to number your days. Sometimes he cuts them short because of our sin. Sometimes he cuts them short because of our righteousness. Remember Enoch? When everybody was living 800, 900 years, it says, Enoch walked with God and he was not. God took him to heaven. But God has numbered our days. Psalms 139.16 says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when yet there was not one of them. Do you realize that each one of you has an expiration date? Uh, It's stamped in, in invisible ink. You don't know it. God knows it. He says, before you were ever born, I gave you an expiration date. Some of us are going, I feel like I passed my best by date. Right? But God says, no, I've got something for you to do yet. You know, we have that. And he does that not just for believers, He does it for unbelievers too. And God looks down and says, okay, your number's up. He's going to look. He's going to look and he says, you you didn't even earn the right to be king. Your daddy's the king. Nebuchadnezzar was the king. Notice that it says that Daniel was to become the third in the kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Daniel. Daniel doesn't even want it because he knows what's going to happen. Darius is on his way. The second term is tekel. Wade. You know the, the, the symbol that we use, right? Of justice. Blindfolded, holding out the scales. Well, you've weighed and you've found what? To be deficient. To be deficient. You're lacking. Exactly. He said, you've been, and here's what's on this side of the scale. Your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar told you who God Almighty was. You've had the testimony of that. You've been given honor that you don't even deserve by your father. And yet you're arrogant enough to do all of these things, to to toast all of these gods that that do nothing, that know nothing. You're over here and your balance is way off. I don't know, anybody here ever be a cat, was ever a cashier? Right? And, And what did you have to do at the end of the night? You had to balance your till. And you better hope that it was right. You know? Because if it wasn't, man, you got a lot. You got to go back and you got to look at everything. Did I enter something wrong? Right? God says you're you're out of balance. You owe a whole lot more based on what you've been given. In First uh, Samuel two three, uh, it tells us 
Boast no more so proudly, so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and with him, what? Actions are weighed. Actions are weighed. What we do, right, is probably more important than what we say, because we can say anything we want. But God looks at our what? Our actions. So one day we're all going to be held accountable, right? Either we're going to stand before Jesus at the Bema seed, as it, as it talks about in Corinthians, the Bema seed, and God's going to look at us, and he's going to judge us according to what? Our deeds. What we've done for him. Or you're going to stand on the other end out of Revelation chapter 20, when the people stand before the throne... And he opens two books, and the first book is the book of life. Is your name written in the book of life? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Second book is what? The book of your deeds. And even the unsaved are going to be judged by their deeds. Belshazzar was judged by his deeds. He was weighed and found deficient, lacking. The last word is Perez. And Perez means divided. Perez means divided. Now we could go all the way back to chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar has the dream of the statue and its head was gold and Daniel said, hey, the head of gold one day is going to be cut off and below that is going to be what? The torso of silver with two arms. Your kingdom is going to be divided between two, the Medes and the Persians. Now, we find at the end of this chapter, in verse 30, that same night Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. Herodias the Greek historian tells us the rest of the story. Matter of fact, there are some people who even put a date to it, October 13th, 539 B.C. But whatever date that was, on this very night, the Medes and the Persians came up with a very interesting plan. They went to the Euphrates River and they diverted it away so the riverbed dried up. And the Persian army walked through the tunnel that Nebuchadnezzar had built right into the city because there was no water in it. They came in and they overtook the people by surprise because why? Well, their king was having a drunken party. Why, why shouldn't the rest of us be doing that? They came in and in one night... They overtook the city. They killed Belshazzar and the Babylonian kingdom totally collapsed. Not only did Belshazzar by his arrogance cause the collapse of his reign, but he lost the entire kingdom. 
Kind of a warning, isn't it? You know, we've had some real interesting things happen in the last year or so. One happened last week when a judge said that all these little test tube babies that you got hanging out, they're human beings. Oops. Now we all of a sudden we have all of these people going, well, what do we do now? Now, it's yet to be seen. It hasn't gone to the Supreme Court yet, which it will. But it's interesting that we're seeing even judges go, we've really messed up here. And don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, God looks at this and he's like going, well, maybe this is a start. Maybe this is the pendulum swing coming back to where we say, oh, God, we got this wrong. We need to do what? We need to repent. And we need to confess our sin. And we need to go back to doing what is right. And Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, we see there comes a time when God says, enough is enough. I'm done. Now, I don't know when that is. We can look at Matthew chapter 24. We can look at other passages of Scripture, and we can look at what's going on in today's world, and we can say, I think it's pretty close. I think, I think one of these days, very soon, God's going to say, I'm done. I'm going to cut you off at the knees. Just as he did with Daniel. Or Daniel did as he gave the proclamation to Belshazzar. Well, our only hope is what? The cross. Right? Our only hope is Jesus Christ because he's given us a way out, hasn't he? He says, you don't have to worry about that little thing called the book of Revelation. The part that talks about the tribulation. Because you're not going to be there. Because I gave the cross. I came on the cross so that you could have forgiveness of sin. So that you could be with me where? In heaven. Forever and ever. I'm going to give you that opportunity. That's what God did for us. And that's why, that's why we celebrate the communion. Because when Jesus was going to the cross, he said, remember me by these implements. The bread, which, which represents my body, which is broken for you. The blood, the the." Juice, which represents my blood, which was shed for you. So that you could have eternal life. And be in heaven with me. And God says, you can respond two ways. There were those at the cross... Two thieves, one on each side of Jesus. One said, 
will you remember me when you get to your kingdom? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. The other mocked Jesus in all of the arrogance of hanging on the cross, dying himself, could not bring himself to say, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus didn't even have to respond to him because he had sealed his own fate. As we come to communion, I want us to remember that promise that Jesus made to the the dying thief that said, remember me. God has said, the moment that you breathe your last breath on earth, if you know me as your savior, you're going to breathe your first breath in heaven. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the promise that God gives to us.